Uh, Joyce told me she has her built-in microphone. Um, I'm not so sure I do, so I'm going to stay, uh, stay close to you all. Um, our scripture reading this morning comes from uh, Joshua, the 24th chapter, uh, verses 1 through 18. Now, um, it, uh, at Sydney and at Fairview, um, for the past couple of months, we've been following uh, um, Moses and the Hebrew people on their journey from slavery uh, to the promised land. And uh, this, uh, this scripture, and, and it's just so, um, such providence that it happened on this day, I think, um, concludes our journey. Um, and so uh, we're going to talk about something else next week, which is good. Um, but this is, uh, this is sort of the final um, conclusion to uh, this, uh, this story of the Hebrew people um, going to the promised land. So um, turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua 24, 1 through 18. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaguers, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I assigned a hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried out to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians when you lived in the desert for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you. As did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Higites, Gershites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent a hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities which you did not build. And you live in them, and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now... Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." Then the people answered, 
far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our forefathers up from Egypt, from the land of slavery, and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who live in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. When my girls were four and six, um, they had uh, Princess Tiana fever. Um, the Princess and the Frog had just come out. Um, it was a Disney movie, and um, they loved Princess Tiana. They had all of the dolls. They had the dresses. They had the CD so they could sing all of the songs all of the time. Um, and they, uh, they had the they had the costumes and the stuffed animals. They had everything Princess Tiana. And uh, we decided that this would be a good time to take them to Disney World so that they could meet Princess Tiana in the flesh. And uh, we really wanted to do this for them, for them to have this experience. And as many of you know, uh, Disney World ain't cheap. And so uh, we, uh, we spent all year planning and saving. We planned each day what we were going to do, what rides we were going to hit first. We, uh, we, we uh, paid for our tickets in advance. We paid for a hotel on property. Um, we uh, even paid for the dining plan so that when we got there, our meals would be taken care of. And so all of this uh, was taken care of in advance. And uh, we had about $900 set aside for our trip budget once we got there. Two weeks before we were supposed to leave, the air conditioner in our minivan breaks down. And we take it to the shop, and they say, it's going to cost about $900 to fix the compressor. And so we were faced with a choice. You know, the rational adult, same thing to do would be to say, let's go to Disney World some other time. Um, let's fix our van. Um, and so we made the only decision we could make. Mickey Mouse, here we come. <laughs> right? So it was a 14-hour drive from where we were living. It was in August heat, and we had the, uh, the windows rolled down. We got this little, uh, this little fan that would plug into the cigarette lighter, and so it was blowing some air into the back seat, and it was miserable. Uh, we decided to split up the trip into two seven-hour chunks so it just it, it wouldn't be as awful, but it, it was still terrible. It was sticky. It was hot. We were having to stop all the time just to get some cool air and get hydrated. And then, you know, out of our budget at the last minute, we were paying for this, this motel that we could stay at um, uh, uh, overnight. And this motel it was the cheapest one we could find. And I'm telling you, the cockroaches were too good for this motel. They're like, we're, we're staying at the Super Egg across the street. Um, we got there. It, it smelled like cigarette ash. The, 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 the floor in the bathroom was wet. And I couldn't testify in court 
um, that the Hell's Angels weren't meeting two doors down. And it was kind of one of those hotels that you suspected that the manager was secretly talking to a skeleton in a rocking chair at night. So uh, after this hotel, which because of the Hell's Angels meeting a couple doors down, I maybe got three hours of sleep, um, all with one eye open. Um, So after three hours of sleep, seven more hours, hot, sticky, humid hours in the car, we finally get uh, to this place we've been dreaming about for years, um, the parking lot of Walt Disney World. And when we were in the parking lot of Walt Disney World, because we got there in the middle of the day, we were back all the way back past the Georgia line and Emperor Zerg section. And uh, so, um, so we had to take like a two-mile hike to the tram and then the tram took us finally to the monorail station. And then the monorail station took us through like all the great resorts on the Seven Seas Lagoon. And then finally, we got to the happiest place on earth, a TSA screening tent. And so we had all of our bags checked and we walked through mega detectors and then through the turnstiles. And then, then Finally, we were on Main Street, USA. And we could see Cinderella's Castle in the background. And the, uh, the afternoon parade, the afternoon parade was winding up. And just as we got there, uh, there was a float coming down the street. And it was Princess Tiana and Prince Naveen. And there we were. The girls were in their matching purple bucket hats and they had their matching sunglasses and their matching uh, fanny packs and their, uh, their Princess Tiana t-shirts. And Princess Tiana was coming forward to them. And, and, uh, and Crystal and I were drenched in sweat. We were tired. Um, the whole left side of my body was sunburned. <laughs> and uh, we just held the girls up on our shoulders and as, as the float came to us, Princess Tiana waved at Nora Grace. And Prince Naveen blew a kiss to Savannah. And I'm not ashamed to tell you, I wept like a newborn baby. <laughs> it's like, we're finally here! We did it! <laughs> Have you ever had that experience? You're finally here! We did it. After all this planning, after all this work, after this treacherous voyage, we are finally, finally here. Imagine, imagine for a moment what the Israelites felt like to finally be in the promised land. After 400 years of slavery, after after 40 years in the wilderness, after, after years of battling uh, all the people in the land to finally, to finally be in the promised land, to be able to relax. Imagine what that felt like, what that meant to them. And then, fast forward, 20, 30 years later, that feeling has wore off. There's a whole generation that all they've known is the promised land. It's where they grew up. 
They've forgotten about all the struggles. They've forgotten about all that they went through to get there. And Joshua is an old man now. In fact, uh, he, he says, I'm about to go the way of the earth. He's an old man. He knows that this is the last thing he'll ever do. But he looks around and he's troubled. He looks around and he, and he sees the new generation flirting with idols and with other gods. Because see, they've forgotten. They've forgotten everything they went through to be here and to take possession of the land. And so they don't have the same loyalty to the Lord that his generation did. And so he calls all of the leaders and all of the elders to a place called Shechem. He calls them all to Shechem. Why Shechem? What's so special about Shechem? Why does he call them there? Well, it all goes back to the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. See, a man named Abram is living in Ur of the Chaldeans. He's living in his father Terah's household. And he's awakened in the middle of the night by a voice that says, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to a land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram picks up his family, picks up his household, takes all of his possessions and he leaves Ur and he goes to the land of Canaan. And he stops at a place called Shechem. And there in Shechem, beneath the great oak of Morah, he hears God's voice again. And God's voice says, To you and your offspring, I will give this land. See, there in Shechem, that moment right there was when the land of Canaan became the promised land. That that place right there is when the promise was first made to Abraham. I will give this land to you. And so the Bible tells us the Canaanites were already living in the land. And so uh, Abram didn't stay, but he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. You see, Joshua was bringing the people back, back to the place where they, where they first where they first heard the promise. Back to the place where they first felt that feeling. Back to the place where it all started. You see, Joshua was having a homecoming celebration. He was bringing everyone back to the place where they first felt that feeling. Back to the place where it all started. Because they had a choice to make. They had a decision to make. And then Joshua tells them their story. It's a story that begins with Abraham, who receives the promise. And then Abraham has a son named Isaac. And Isaac receives the promise. And then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, though he's the younger son, he receives the promise. And then Joseph. Joseph goes down into Egypt. And Joseph's 12 brothers go down into Egypt. 
And there for 400 years, they are enslaved by the Egyptians, groaning out, crying out, Lord, please save us. And after 400 years, God sends Moses and Aaron. And they perform many wondrous acts. They perform many miracles in front of Pharaoh. And then they lead the people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And for 40 years, God provides for them in the wilderness and gives them the law and teaches them how to be his people. And then they go to the land. And after struggle, after battle, they finally subdue the land and they finally have the land to live in. Joshua tells them their story and then forces them to make a choice. He says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose for yourself. He gives them a choice. He says, you can worship the gods your fathers worship beyond the river. You can go back to the gods beyond the Euphrates River that uh, Abram worshipped in the home of his father. You can go back to those old gods if you want. That's your choice. And I have to wonder, why would the old gods be so tempting? Why, when you've been in the presence of the living God, would you go back to a wooden idol? Why? What's the temptation there? Well, I think the temptation is the old gods are the old gods. The gods of our fathers You know, um, we sing that song, Give Me That Old Time Religion. It was good enough for mom and dad. It's good enough for me. For the Hebrews, idol worship was the old time religion. There was a certain nostalgic pull to it. I want to worship the wooden idols just the way mom and dad used to. Right? There was... Idol worship for the Hebrew people was the old time religion. Worship of the Lord was new. And so there's a certain nostalgic pull that the past has for us. And yet God is always calling us forward into the next generation to serve Him. Uh, I've been watching a show um, uh, called Vikings. Anyone ever seen Vikings? It's okay, just me. Um, it's a really cool History Channel show. Um, and uh, it's about uh, Ragnar Lofbrok and, uh, and his band of Vikings. And they're uh, taking their first voyages west, and they're encountering um, the people of England, and they're, they're, uh, they're attacking their villages. And on one of uh, Ragnar's um, voyages, he, uh, he kidnaps a Christian monk and makes him his slave. And the Christian monk, Athelstan, um, converts uh, to the Norse religion. One night, Ragnar Lofbrok catches uh, Athelstan uh, praying with his rosary. And uh, he confronts him about it. And he says, have you renounced our gods? Have you returned to your faith? And Athelstan says something. He says, I wish it was so simple. See, in the gentle fall of rain from heaven, I hear my God. But in the thunder, I hear Thor. That is my agony. 
I think for the Hebrew people, there was still a part of them that heard the old gods and the thunder. There was still a part of them that was, that was having trouble adjusting to this new God that, that is compassionate and merciful and abiding in steadfast love. They're still having trouble adjusting to this new God. And so the old gods still have some pull with them. We have the same trouble. False gods uh, have dogged Christianity for thousands of years. Gods that, that we do well to bury, to leave on the other side of the river where they belong. I think of, of, of the false god of conquest that, that smiles on the destruction of the Native Americans and on the Crusades. I think of the false god of superiority that defends the institution of slavery and the subjugation of women. I think of the false god of ignorance that preaches the flat earth and tells people don't get vaccines because it's God's will that you're sick. I think of the false God of institution that sells indulgences to the poor and refuses to let the word of God be translated into a language that people can understand and to be put in their hands. Those old gods deserve to be buried, to be left on the other side of the river where they belong. And yet, they have a certain pull. They have a certain pull that keeps us going back to them. The other choice Joshua gives to people is that you can worship the gods of the Amalekites in whose land you were living. The gods of your present age. The gods of your neighbors. The new gods. Maybe uh, worshiping the Lord isn't desirable to you anymore. Maybe you want to worship these new gods you've found here in the promised land, the gods of the Amalekites. These gods were worse than the old gods. The, the thunder god Baal had a whole fertility cult around him that included temple prostitution and just, just the worst kinds of, of, of acts. The uh, the, the, the God of death, Molech, demanded of his people child sacrifice to be placated. These gods were worse than the old gods. So why would they be tempting? Why would they be tempting to the Hebrews? I have to think it has something to do with, with wanting acceptance. Wanting to go along to get along. Make friends with your neighbors by worshiping the same things that they worship. Maybe there's something about these gods that allow us to give in to our worst instincts. See, we today are faced with the choice of whether we want to worship the gods of our present age. The gods of wealth. The God that says all that matters in life is the accumulation of stuff. The God that worships celebrity. The God of tribalism. The the God of tribalism that, that divides us up into these little tribes and sticks labels on us and says, now go fight amongst yourselves. Don't be united. 
This guy promotes uh, denomination splitting into more denominations to split into more denomination. This, this God promotes uh, putting political party above, above love and compassion for your neighbor. How about the God of escapism? That says drugs are the answer to your problem. How many people have we lost to the God of escapism? That says, uh, says put the screen in front of your face and don't see the person next to you. The God of escapism. How many people have we lost to the gods of pleasure? I, like you, have just watched in horror after, uh, after this, this domino effect in Hollywood where we see one person after another, after another, after another brought down because they chased after pleasure at, 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 at the exclusion of loving their neighbor as their self. These false gods have, have attraction, but they are even more depraved than the old gods, the God of our present age. John Wesley, a guy I kind of like, said, They that are bound for the promised land must be willing to swim against the stream and must do not as most do, but as the best do. We have to be willing to reject the old gods of our past and we have to be willing to reject the present gods of this age. And we have to be willing to choose the one who was and is and is to come. The God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the God of all time. We have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. So homecoming. We're not at Shechem. We're at Fairview United Methodist Church. For some of you, this may be where you first felt that feeling. Some of you are here to visit old friends. Some of you are here uh, uh, to, to support your fellow church family. But we're all here with the choice to make. Homecoming. Are you going to worship those old gods that belong on the other side of the river, buried in the past? Are you going to worship the gods of this present age? Just go along to get along? Or are you going to worship the living God? The one that is, is, is greater than any single time in history. The one that encompasses all of it. The Alpha and the Omega. Are you going to worship that God? The one that calls us forward with our values intact. We have a decision to make. We're back here. We're all starting, hopefully, feeling that same old feeling. We have a choice to make. And I can't make it for you. The Nettleton family is going to serve the Lord. You all have to decide what your family's going to do. But me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We all have a decision to make. Some of us, we've got to bury those old gods. Some of us find no attraction in the new gods, but we like those old ones. 
the ones that make us feel superior to other people, the ones that, that, that allow us to look down our nose at other people. And some of us are flirting with the new gods. But we all have a decision to make. Because if this is going to work, if this church is going to be a promised land for people, if this church is going to be a place where people can come and seek refuge from the world, we have to be different. We have to choose the Lord. And so I leave you simply with the question. Not with a question, with a challenge. Choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.